0: In a way, we did get customer requirements, but not for the complete solution. So there was a lot of new ways of thinking required in order to set the specifications for such a product. And along the way, we learned so many things that if we would have known all those things beforehand, we would have probably spent half of the number of hours on developing it as that we actually did.
1: Budget overruns. Brick devices, data breaches, building connected products is hard. Welcome to Over the Air, sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started. I'm your host, Ryan Prosser. Welcome back to Over the Air, IoT connected devices and the journey. My name is Ryan Prosser, CEO of Vary. And today we're joined by Ollie Smink, CEO of Sodak, and we're going to be talking about what it looks like to make the leap from a service-based company to a product-based company, something I know a lot of you care a lot about. Most service-based companies ultimately try to make this leap, few make it. Today we're going to unpack what that looks like. Ollie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, great. So for those that don't know, give us a little background on SODAC. And you know, you guys are a little bit different. You're making the leap from services to products. So tell us both about SODAC, the services company, and SODAC, the product company. A little overview on both would be great. So SODAC's been
0: around for almost nine years, uh, next month. And uh, we basically started with the intention to connect all sorts of sensors to the internet. This kind of started with a kickstarter campaign with a a programming module that developers could use and because of that we got a lot of exposure and that's how most of the engineering projects actually started coming in so until about two years ago we were quite heavily focused on still selling those development boards but also mainly doing engineering projects Uh, think of connecting water pump system to the internet for huge buildings to be controlled and monitored and We did over 250 different projects so far. So our expertise in projects mainly lies in embedded software, uh, hardware, so really PCB design and such, and also industrial design. So making enclosures, making sure that it's easy to use and robust and fitting to the use case. So that's a bit on the engineering side. On the product side, uh, as I said, two years ago, we decided to pivot slightly. And rather than to move entirely into products, we decided to focus on both. And uh, initially, this was quite a challenge, but I'll get into that after. First, describing what, what the products business does, we're mainly focusing on asset tracking, a supply chain, and logistics. So we saw that a large proportion of engineering requests were driven towards these kind of use cases around asset tracking and logistics. So we decided to develop our own products. Now, these products are really with our engineering backing in there, as low power as possible, meaning that if they're battery powered, which we try to avoid as much as possible, they will last really long in comparison to others. And what we really prefer is to provide solutions with energy harvesting, so primarily solar powered, uh, then the devices should be able to work perpetually so those are the two sort of different uh, income streams that that we have as a company. And of course, around the products, there's a series of services like support, backend data delivery, uh, connectivity, but... Yeah, I think what also distinguishes us as a company a bit is that for the data delivery, we're quite agnostic to the way in which the data is delivered. We see that many companies have a, a deep expertise in a certain vertical, and we prefer to work together than rather than to, to try to go to the customer directly ourselves.
1: You know, I look at a lot of companies in the IoT space, and almost no one is zero one hundred or one hundred zero, meaning almost nobody doesn't have some notion of blend between products and services. But very few, you know, most are product first and they're doing services to service or products. And then you've got the the examples such as you guys that are services first, looking to make the leap into products. What's been the biggest challenge for you guys so far as you've gone from you know, I believe you started as a services-only company that's making the move into products. And we'll talk more about your flagship product in a minute. But but talk about some of the big challenges you guys have, have seen as you've moved from basically 100% services into more of a blended environment on your way to a more product-led company. I believe is my understanding of where you guys are headed maybe five years from now.
0: Correct. So the longer-term strategy is because uh, product sales is much more scalable, that that should start to take over a much larger percentage of the company revenue and should grow exponentially rather than linearly as the engineering service <coughs> revenue continues to increase. In terms of challenges, uh, I think first and foremost, the sales side. So we were quite used to inbound sales for our engineering projects. We didn't really have a dedicated sales team. Whoever was in the management team was also doing sales, but to really scale product sales and to really dive into what is the customer's challenge and really to find out where the product can be applied. Because when you're talking about volumes, you need to, you you really need to know the use case. there we've had to expand the team additionally around supply chain. So we suddenly became responsible towards ourselves to deliver products. So we've had to really align with very good production partners. We learned that some were not as good. And we've actually recently hired a procurement manager as well, which was a big step for us to have someone solely focused on the purchasing side. So those were some of the challenges, you know, finding the right people that have a, a lot of interest in, in specifically low power IoT. And then I think also in terms of uh, strategic uh, alignment. so. At some stages, we focused a little bit too much on the products, and then you know our engineering inbound uh, and and the interest we, we we got from engineering clients decreased. Uh, so it's been like a sort of pendulum that is starting to find its way
1: now, and that's uh, really promising. You mentioned, I think uh, you called it a, a purchasing manager or a procurement manager. If you were as being an example of a specific person you needed to hire in order to support your product activities. If you were talking to someone and they said, Ollie, we're looking to make the leap from a services company to a product company. We've got a great idea for a product. We've built deep expertise in this area. We think we're really well set up. What's the first thing that you're going to say to, you know, what are some of the gaps that you're going to be like, listen, you need X and Y and Z. And we're not looking for an exhaustive list here, but what comes to mind as like, hey, you're not here are three things you're not even thinking about yet that you're going to need to hire for in order to successfully make that leap. So besides what i mentioned there's also really a
0: strong need for manuals and and descriptions and a process definition for how to onboard new clients and new products that requires a service and support department which we did already have but totally needed to transition into yeah being able to to fully support these these new products, having to let go of some activities in the past. So we had that web shop through which we sold these development boards. We have completely stopped that activity because you can only point your attention towards so many different things. Sometimes it's hard to let go of of legacy and and of the, let's say, babies that you've created within within your business that you're proud of as a founder. And then I also think that the marketing required around a product to really make the customers aware of it, but also to give them that impression of the quality because your product can be the best, but if that doesn't come across in the right way, then then you haven't achieved anything. So really a good alignment between the different departments, making everyone aware that this is the new focus and then, yeah, executing is all very challenging. I think specifically in the current Uh, Market. it's quite hard to come by components. So a lot of production companies are on their back foot. They are unable to meet some of the demand of their customers, uh, making their planning harder, making their component purchasing more difficult. So product pricing is also increasing. We've actually had to increase our pricing throughout the launch of our products. So you need to be aware of that, that, uh, you could have a a business case fully worked out for a product, but if you suddenly have to increase the pricing by 30, 40%, then your client needs to be willing to pay that extra. And, you know, considering the global economy, it's going to continue, uh, in in this way at this moment.
1: Yeah. Pricing is one of those sneaky hard ones. One of the things that I've discovered in my career. I started selling hardware, then went into SaaS, now I'm in services. And it's they're very different sales processes that have a very different buyer that's thinking about things differently. And so one of the things I've discovered is you really, um, it is extremely difficult, maybe impossible to have to find sales folks that are excellent at both, you know, that can that can really sell a service effectively and sell a product effectively. As you said, one is really built for scalable sales. I'll call it churn and burn, that's probably not fair, but you know, you're really looking for a transactional sale. Here is the thing, how many of these things would you like? The services, you're really selling like a relationship, it's a very bespoke sales process, highly customized you mentioned that your executive team was kind of you guys' sales force. So all the executives were actually, you know, the ones doing a lot of the selling versus having a dedicated sales team. What, what does that look like On uh, as you guys have spun up this? Now are the executives also selling products? Have you spun up a dedicated sales team? And if so, what is that, you know, what lumps have you taken there? What can you share with the audience about things you've learned? So because of the complexity
0: of how we sell two different things, plus the added complexity of indeed selling products and and the services around it, we noticed that some of the executive team needed to continue being in sales. Uh, We actually decreased the size of our executive team to four from six, uh, adding two of those members on purely sales roles and focus the attention of the executive team. I personally made a transition from being the sole CEO to a co-CEO role, whereby, let's say counterpart in that is actually managing the team and more of the operations while I'm still available for sales and marketing activities much more of the time. And also I think really hiring hiring more senior people is something that's really difficult because you know how much it's gonna cost per month, but you know there's no replacement for experience especially in a sales role so we've learned the hard way and you know you cannot get time back uh, so if you hire the wrong person and give them a, a year of opportunity and then you realize that you know it wasn't going anywhere and then having to start again it's better to make a slightly bigger investment in someone with more experience and so yeah we've we've spun up now really a, a separate team whereby certain individuals are purely focused on product and certain individuals purely on project, but some on both. Because we realize that the same clients, let's say the larger corporates, will want to do engineering projects, but will also have assets moving around. So there's always a, a way to win with both offerings.
1: You mentioned the co-CEO thing. We're going to have you back on the show. I want to have some other co-CEOs and do a co-CEO panel to understand when does this make sense and why? It seems like the thorniest thing a company could possibly introduce, but some companies seem to pull it off really well. And And so I'm really curious about some of the hallmarks of what makes the conditions correct for this to, to be a successful thing. But that's not today. For today, I want to ask one last question. You mentioned So I totally agree about the comment you made, you know, lost time, you don't get the time back. Hiring right is one of the best, most of things you can do to drive efficiency into the plan. Talk about, this is my only co-CEO question. Talk about, like, are you guys setting it up for this thing to split and one CEO goes with each business? Is that the idea? Or like, can you talk generally? Like I said, we'll have you back to do a deep dive on this co-CEO business. But is that generally speaking where you guys, are taking the business? Not
0: at all. So it will remain fully connected as it is now. And we will just continue to expand in terms of capacity. For us, the engineering component of our business is one of the major drivers of innovation. Companies, large companies are willing to spend budget on certain developments that will give value to them. In many cases, they are happy for us to retain the IP or have a license, and that part enables us to create better products. The DNA of our company, you know we're engineering heavy out of uh, 40 plus people. We have more than 25 engineers. These guys all love working on engineering projects. And so it really works as a, as a model. It's like a virtuous cycle that continues to improve itself. You know, our, our our products are really shown to the outside world, really reflect our what our image is as a company, and then we get approached, you know, for engineering projects. And that's how it keeps uh,
1: adding more value to us and to our clients. Very cool. Let's talk a l- little bit about the product side. So this is kind of you guys' pride and joy. It seems like this is something you fought hard to, to make happen. Can you talk about this flagship hardware product that you built? And I'm specifically interested in What informed the decision to build this specific product instead of a different product solving a different problem? What were you guys seeing that said, there's a market opportunity here, we're well positioned, let's go make this thing happen? So two things, Uh, firstly, the business case, and
0: secondly, the number of customer requests. I'll start with the second cause it's a bit shorter. So the number of customer requests around asset tracking was really quickly increasing. So we could see that especially in, in lower power networks such as LTE M and narrowband IOT getting dispersed over the world. Suddenly there was this awareness among our customer base that it would be possible to have a low cost and low power tracking solution that would last really long. And that ties into the business case. So the longer the device lasts, the more business cases uh, that can be actualized with that device in combination, of course, with the price of the device. Let's say you have a logistics process that uh, is currently uh, costing you a certain amount, you're losing a certain quantity of of those assets, and you're also not optimizing your routes. Let's say that has a certain business value. If you can somehow calculate into that without losing too much of the customer profit margin, calculate into that adding a tracking solution that will actually improve the process around uh, what the customer is doing, then it's possible to sell them a product. And so we basically saw that with asset tracking solutions, there was really a limited number of options when it came to solar powered. And the advantage of solar powered asset tracking solutions, especially for outdoor, but sometimes even for indoor, is that you have a sort of perpetual battery life. So once you install it, you don't ever have to go back to that asset. And on top of that, where you would, for example, have the same size tracker with a battery lasting 10 years on one message a day, you can have that same solar power tracker sending a message every 10 minutes for 10 years. So the amount of available data is significantly higher as well. So we decided, you know, there's an opportunity there, let's go and invest. We invested a significant amount of our resources to make it happen. And we now have, uh, for example, one one of our first clients with the product that's ordered over
1: 5,000 units. So it's really paying off. Talk about, so describe this specific product that you guys have built. So you've got a tracking, so I think the audience is up to speed now on the market signals that you guys were seeing. Talk about the specific product that you've built and the what is this use case that, you're, that you guys are looking to solve for?
0: So the product is a, a device you can hold in your hand that's extremely light, that has a solar panel covering the entire top of the device, so maximizing the amount of energy that it can harvest. It's based on low-power cellular communication technologies. That's how it does one form of its positioning and also does its communication. And it has GPS uh, module inside, so it, it knows its location. It's monitoring motion, so it can detect shock, but can also trigger based on motion. And it measures temperature. And so it's also possible through Bluetooth to connect any other external sensors to it as well. So think of a, a large liquid container, where you want to know where it is, but you also want to know the temperature of the goods inside. You can actually have an external temperature probe uh, that's communicating over Bluetooth to our device what the the temperature of the, the
1: goods is. So what strikes me is you guys have built a very serious hardware product. You know, the tracking piece, the integrated power generation via solar piece. These are solved engineering problems, but these are not easy problems. And this is a cool and interesting product that the market seems to be responding to well. One of the questions I ask on the air a lot is this idea of the wrong side of impossible. You know, So I say to folks, what problem did you guys have to solve in order to make this whole thing possible? It feels like the wrong side of impossible for you guys was an organizational challenge, being able to make the leap organizationally. Talk a little bit about, I know this is a return to my first question, but like talk about some of the things that you had to make true organizationally. Maybe this is less from a tactical hire this, hire this standpoint, more I mean it like philosophically as an executive team, you know, or even culturally as a company. What were the things that had to be true or you had to make true in order to make this outcome possible? So basically
0: we're used to having an end customer approach us with certain specifications, we would set a budget for that development with some sort of agreement that if we significantly went over budget, that they would be requested to increase the budget. And so when we did our own internal product development, not only were we much more interested in adding more more requirements than than we would ever allow our customer to, but we also didn't as easily have that sort of limiting factor. So we were always our own customer and we had to almost always approve what was requested to be developed. And in a way we we did get customer requirements, but not for the complete solution. So there was a lot of, yeah, new ways of thinking required in order to set the specifications for such a product. And along the way we learned so many things that if we would have, uh, known all those things beforehand, we would have probably
1: spent half of the number of hours on developing it as that we actually did. I think a lot of people look backwards and say the same thing. In fact, I think half is probably generous. You know, often it's like we would have spent ninety percent less time if we'd known XYZ at the begin at the end. Yeah. No, hundred percent. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, but I have one follow-up I wanted to ask. You know, we're big on hot takes here, you know, like throwing something out to give the guests a chance to, to really take a provocative stance. You're talking about some of the things that are true about Sodac that have made this moment possible. It sounds like you guys have built an incredible organization. What would you say, like flipping the question a little bit, what are some of the attributes of a company that if you saw those in a company, you would say, this company will never make the leap from services to a product-driven culture. They will never, they just, it's not gonna happen. You know, or it's very, very unlikely. What are some of the things that if you saw that in another company, you would say to yourself, no, this isn't gonna happen?
0: There needs to be a company culture of real desire to achieve something. So if you look behind me here, you see our sort of slogan under our logo. So SODAC, World Friendly IoT. We have really embedded in the culture of the organization the vision. And then you have the ability to make, you know, really big leaps. And I think that it also has a bit to do with your hiring. So you can immediately see when you walk into a company how good their hiring is. So, and you know you often hear this that you know the founders are involved in hiring, even when the company has more than a thousand people. I really believe in those kind of statements. There needs to be a collective belief in what you're doing, and I think on top of that as well, there are some companies that are merely too large to make that transition. I think we were just on time, and i'm I'm seeing some other companies in the space that are trying to launch products even similar products that are really sort of bashing their heads against the wall because it's not going in the way they want to simply because they're yeah they have too much to to shift and yeah i think also there needs to be a lot of flexibility from all the levels so uh from the shareholders to the management to the employees uh everybody needs to be very willing to make that change and we've been very fortunate that
1: on all levels uh, we had the support. So that's a hot take on the industry. Let's do a, uh, a more charitable take on IoT. Wh- what are, who are some companies that you're looking at that you think not enough people are talking about in the IoT space? So I think there's a company that is getting quite some
0: attention already, but still uh, uh, we don't see their products in our use cases enough, which is Williot. You may have heard of them based out of Israel, building amazing energy harvesting devices that gather RF energy and then uh, communicate the message over Bluetooth, which is, for us, a really good uh, potential future partner. We're in contact with them to extend and connect with our, with our devices. Another one uh, is uh, one of our partners as well. They're uh, based out of uh, Wageningen here in the Netherlands, and uh, they're called Plant E they're actually creating energy harvesting modules in soil and this is kind of a crazy one but we investigate energy harvesting all the time and they're actually able to generate quite a lot of power from the natural process of photosynthesis and the negative charge that's released into the roots of the plant and so uh, whenever you have any type of agricultural use case or for example uh, you know trees in cities that need a lot of water if you can completely submerge the device and never have to access it again then yeah that's a, a perfect solution right so they're not getting the visibility yet and uh yeah i think i think yeah there's there's obviously many others and and i mainly relate to the the ones that are in close vicinity to ourselves because i'm most aware of what uh is going on on their side
1: yeah, and I, I could see where energy harvesting would be near and dear to you guys' heart. You make a remote uh, tracking device that you know is sort of dependent on its ability to generate power remotely. Last question for you: What's next for you guys? So you're you're on this very cool evolution from services to product. You're kind of I don't know halfway through it or whatever. What can the audience expect to see as you know 22 turns to 23 and beyond? So we're now in the position to have more of a
0: product roadmap approach to further developing the products, which will allow for a lot of customer involvement in setting priorities, which will, yeah, we will be collecting requirements. We will be bringing certain separate developments together. I think what's really exciting is for us in the next year, a few different types of smart label solutions that we're launching. So we've been the inventors of uh, the smart label, which is a, a paper thin asset tracking solution that works over cellular. We have recently completed the first version of a rechargeable smart label as well, which is just three millimeters in thickness. And so next year we will be really pushing those. And also on top of that, we will be transitioning our asset trackers of all sizes to super capacitor instead of uh, lithium ion batteries. So we're moving away from lithium-ion batteries across all of our, our products. And that should be happening in the, the next year as well. And besides that, you know, focus is key. Uh, more, more sales of what we've developed now. And I think most of the excitement will come from all the interesting engineering requests that, that we've been getting and will uh, we'll get.
1: I love it. Ollie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. It was very exciting to have this conversation. So folks, you heard it here, Ollie's take on companies that will or potentially could not make the leap from services to product. Love to hear what you think. We're going to be posting a link on LinkedIn below the recording for this podcast. So jump on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you or you can DM Ollie or myself directly. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next time as we meet with another IoT executive and talk about what went wrong on a journey that went right. Over the air is brought to you by very to find out more about us, head over to dot com and make sure to search for over the air in Apple podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. Great podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss any future episodes on behalf of the team here at very thanks for listening.